Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Relevant Faith. My name is Frank. I'm with Troy. Hey, Troy, how's it going? Hey, Frank. I'm doing okay this week. I, um, I'm kind of bored um, just in general, but <laughs> I'm doing good. Man. Yeah, I, um, I've been kind of busy. You know, I've been a little uh, stressed out. Um, you know, this is kind of a crazy mm. time. And so I've been practicing some spiritual disciplines. Uh, I, I haven't mm. really explored that avenue of faith before. And so like spiritual meditation and um, things like that, it's just kind of new for me. So I've been experimenting with that. Cool. But um, yeah, other than that, it's just, you know, living life, man. Yeah. Uh, Dad, how's the how's the son oh, doing? He's Levi? Awesome. Um, you know, he's sleeping all night now, which is great if you've uh Oh, yeah. You know, having it was a rough go for a while there. But um, yeah, you know, you know, things are good over here, um, which, you know, is is more than we could say about about some people, unfortunately. And so, you know, today's episode, Troy, I I was going to talk to you because last week um, our episode was on justice and Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about it in more of like a abstract, what does the Bible kind of say on justice? But um, you were a part of something last week, right? Yeah. On Wednesday last week, um, I went to a gathering, I would say. Um, It wasn't a formal protest necessarily, but I went to a gathering um, where faith leaders, particularly in my denomination, came together to voice our support and solidarity for um, the black community and for the um, community that has experienced the atrocities of violence, you know, in the hands of uh, George Floyd and the hands of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and many others. So we came together as faith leaders um, to hear people speak out on the topics, uh, uh, well, to speak out on actual personal experiences of racism um, and violence and the like within the Portland context where I live. Um, and then just to, to voice, um, I guess the cry for change, like what is it that we can do as a community to, to change this? And so then we, you know, after we heard some people speak, we, you know, we, we, we knelt down in a posture like of prayer for eight minutes 46 seconds you know uh, the duration of time george floyd was being choked to death um we yeah we we knelt you know and prayed you know for the nation prayed for him his family prayed for you know just uh the black community in general so it was powerful 
it was a very powerful experience. Um, I definitely won't forget it. Um, and particularly inspiring because it was faith leaders that I know doing something outside of the norm for them. Um, and so I was really encouraged and inspired That's by cool, that. man. So, so you were in downtown Portland. Yeah, Pioneer Square. It's kind of right in the heart of yeah. downtown Portland. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's video on social media, um, and uh, a, a fellow Christian of ours, Justin Coe, put together this well-edited video um, of you guys out there. And, you know, it's just really cool um, to see, like, how just big all of this was, like, I mean, I think, Troy, I think you're a little modest. Yeah. It was a lot of people. And you were in public. You were in Pioneer Square doing all this stuff. So it's not every day faith leaders are leading an eight-minute, 46-second prayer in downtown Portland, right? And so um, I just kind of want to talk about that and, and just, you know, see what you, you felt like the whole the whole time. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like, yeah. So so was it an actual march or was it just – like was was it part of like a bigger thing going on or what no this was prior to the march there was a march later that day which it attracted 10,000 plus people um this was before that um we met at 4 p.m. and initially you know it was just it was organized i think loosely by um a couple of pastors uh, in in Portland, um, particularly one, uh, I think, African-American pastor, another black American pastor. Um, but these two and a couple other people um, in the conference that um, co- that conference that encompasses many other pastors and churches. Um, but they organized it and they called, you know, pastors that they knew together to come to pray for with protesters and to hear stories. And so. That's how they got organized, um, and I just give kudos to Pastor Garth and Pastor Reggie and Pastor Moy, um, who brought everybody together for that. And um, that's a first, you know, for many of the people that I know. So kudos to them. And yeah, so we gathered uh, at Pioneer Square at four, and um, Garth shared some stories, um, some personal experience, and kind of a call to action. Uh, and then Reggie shared, you know, a couple of stories and a call to action. And then this guy, um, he was not part of our group. I'm not sure if he was previously contacted. I believe his name is Jamal. Jamal shared. He was 50 years old uh, from what he shared. And he grew up in Portland and has lived in the Portland area his whole life. And so he shared, you know, a quick five minute or less message about what it was like for him as a black man in a super predominantly white area in the Northwest and just historically Portland and Seattle in the Northwest has been notoriously non non-diverse or undiverse, you know, it's been notoriously white dominated. And so he shared what it was like for him, you know, trying to come up through the school system and the struggles he had in school and the underrepresentation of blacks there and the challenges for him there, um, the neighborhoods. He shared, you know, a little bit about what it was like for him growing up in in different places in Portland. The the geography 
you know, of Portland, the Portland ghettos and things like that. He shared a little bit about that. And then he just, he just, call, he just called us to be responsible to remember the history of Portland and the prejudices and violence and even the people that have been killed by police brutality in Portland. And so it was kind of a little bit of a, a window into the context of Portland. And for me, you know, being somebody that grew up in Florida, you know, one of the most <laughs> kind of startling things, I talked to this guy after um, his little message and you know, we were just chatting like one-on-one and he said to me within the first couple of seconds talking to me, he's like, you're not from around here. And I was like, what, how do you know that? And he's like, I, I know, you know, I know somebody that knows Portland, you know, I know what those people are like. And he's like, I, he's like, I just know that you're not from here. And I was like, well, that, that's uncanny, but you're right. And, um, and he's like, I want you, what I want you to know is I want you to know what it was like being somebody who grew up in Portland. And, you know, and then he wasn't trying to be mean to me or anything, but he said to me, he's like, I want you to know the history so that you can be embedded. He's like, you got to get embedded in, in this city if you're going to care about these issues. And, you know, you challenged me in a positive way. And then, he, but he also said at the end, he's like, and I just thank you so, so much for showing up. I thank you for being here. I thank you for standing beside us, for standing beside me. And I thank you, thank you, thank you. And he was like tearing up crying. And he's really sincere and impassioned, you know. Um, and so I just, you know, I listened and took it all in. And yeah, so that was that was kind of what the sharing part was about. Um, and then, you know, some of our faith leaders, as they're talking, we're in this small um, half of an amphitheater type of thing in Portland Pioneer Square. And, you know, there, there are no megaphones or anything or microphones. And so our faith leaders are sharing to other faith leaders first and foremost. But as they're sharing and they're trying to use their loud outdoor projection voice, you know, bystanders are, are, are walking up and they're listening and they're hearing the stories and they're, you know, cheering and clapping for what's being said and they're excited and happy and they're shocked that faith leaders are saying these things and they're joining, you know, joining us for the sake of justice and for the cause. And so even when the um, one of the faith leaders, Terry Johnson, he, he leads as a chaplain at Adventist Medical Center and Adventist Northwest um, Hospital System, um, he um, he invited everybody to this eight minutes, 46 seconds of kneeling and in silence um, in which many people were praying, but he invited everybody to kneel and in that posture of submission and in the posture of, you know, a respect and honor for George Floyd. And so we all did like that probably three or 400 plus, maybe more. I don't know. I couldn't really count um, people there all together kneeling. And I was praying myself. I was praying the whole time. I was praying for everybody there. I was like, man, this is a moment where everybody comes together. And it reminded me in a very strange way of Pentecost where everybody came together with one spirit. You know, they all wanted the same thing at Pentecost. And because they all wanted the same thing, they were filled with power in the spirit. And, you know, people were converted and, and this is kind of a, an experience where God, I felt like God brought all these people together for the same cause, a just cause, you know, justice, and brought us together in one spirit. And it was a spirit 
of, you know, it was a spirit of nonviolence. It was a spirit of um, camaraderie and support and solidarity. It was a spirit of, you know, we want change and we want to do it the right way. We want our voices heard. Um, it was a spirit of humility. It was a spirit of, you know, especially from the white leaders there, it was a spirit of humility. Um, and I remember one white leader saying, he's like, what I feel like I should is I shouldn't be talking right now. I need to be in a posture of listening. And, you know, I felt the same way. So anyway, that's kind of the experience in a nutshell, um, at least that portion of it. That's pretty cool, so, man. Wow, yeah. what a story. And, you know, gosh, I bet. So you said there were about three or 400 people at least listening to you guys at the time, right? At least, at least. I mean, no, I mean, not all at once. People were like coming in one by one and just kind of joining because a, a crowd was amassing. And so maybe by the end, especially with the people kneeling, it might have been like three or 400 people kneeling. But initially it was like yeah. 50 or 60 and the group just grew and over over the maybe 30 minutes to 40 minutes of yeah. time so how, together. How old do you think these people were? Um, in general, in general, young. I mean, in general, they were teenagers to young adults slash young professional in general. There was a few people, uh, outliers that were, you know, 50s, 60s. Um, I didn't really see many parents, parents age people other than the faith leaders that I was with. But not a lot of parents. It was mostly teenagers, a couple of older, older folks. And then, you know, our group of younger mostly younger pastors so yeah predominantly though predominantly younger people uh, young adults the the reason i ask is because you know you you look at any like polls that there's a lot of them saying that young people are just leaving the church they're just fleeing they're they're leaving the church they don't want anything to do with it they're unengaged and even there's like this cultural narrative that like young people just aren't engaged right and then you know, yeah. the, this movement happens and you have hundreds of thousands of people who are young show up and even you specifically, a group of faith leaders in the downtown heart of the most secular city in the United States. And you have 300 to 400 people who are young adults listening to you. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. And but, you know, what yeah. what, it, what do you think, Troy, that that says about like the church? Like what? What do you think it is that yeah. that makes these kids not excited about Jesus and showing up? Yeah, good question. I think what it reflects is a misalignment of values. Um, I think what a young adult believes or values is different, both intellectually, but uh, both in praxis. Uh, praxis and intellect, you know, as to what the average traditional churchgoer values. You know, I think, I think what I perceive as as the biggest values of the young adult community, especially the activist young adult community, is that they believe that people should stand in support of all humanity. So, in general, the mindset of most young adults, myself included, you know, is we have to think outside of our walls. We have to think about humanity at large. We have to think with like a global perspective 
This isn't just about our nation. This isn't about our church. This isn't about our denomination. This isn't about, you know, our group of people. This isn't about like our demo, our demographic, our, our, our age category. This isn't about that. We have to, we need to fight for the ultimate ideals. Right. And it is, you know, it's idealistic, but, but the passion there is that, you know, people want to see us pursuing those things. You know, they want to see, especially they want to see the church differently. They, they don't want to see the church disconnected as its own body that just cares about itself, you know? And so um, the crit- the critique, I guess, if it were, the, the implied critique from young and young by their absence is that the church just does not model those values, you know, either it doesn't model it or it, it doesn't model it in, in the sense that it doesn't follow through on fulfilling those values or it doesn't even, I don't know. It's hard to even say it doesn't believe in those values. Cause I think it's hard to think about being a Christian and thinking about the kingdom of God and not want those values, but it doesn't like understand how those vac- values um, are, should be reflected in society at large. So, you know, a lot of the young adults, I just feel, um, are like, well, I want to pursue these values and I can't do it in a church and the church will just lock me into being an exclusivistic person. So I'm just not going to bother going to church. You know, that breaks my heart because, you know, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast that there's a section of the church in the, the broader worldwide church, or at least in America, that social justice is a distraction from the gospel. Like that somehow focusing on like equality and justice and what's right for certain aspects or certain people is somehow separate from and antithetical to the gospel. And it blows my mind, you know, because this is just a basic image of God issue. And I think that, that the church has forgotten or, or something that all humans are made in the image of God. And if we truly believe that, right the church should be doing stuff about it. And I think you nailed yeah. it on the head when you said that, you know, the church seems disconnected and it doesn't follow through and not all churches. There are some churches yeah. are doing amazing stuff and, and there's people doing awesome stuff, but I'm talking like systemically as a whole. Right. And, um, you know, yeah. when, when I see something that's happening in like Portland and the United States at large, you know, Jesus's message is, I mean, Jesus has a lot to say about this and, and it, good things to say, yeah. like, like Jesus would be yeah. all about, oh, yeah. you know, equality for, for these people and the injustice done against them. He'd be all about that flipping tables and whatever. Um, but you know, it's just, I guess yeah. some, somehow the, the, the church doesn't, I guess, give, give people an outlet for that. So, um, Oh dude, you're so right about that. And just to add to that, what you're saying and this is just a, a reflection that I've had. I think that the church in, and churchgoers in general are terribly self-conscious. And what I mean by that is like they're afraid of how they will be perceived by others if they demonstrate something publicly. You know what I mean? Like, so if I'll give you an example, if a church member were to show up at a pride parade, you know, I'm just I'm going out there on a limb. If they were to show up at a pride parade 
to make the statement, let's just make it personal to make the statement to their friend who was marching that his life is valuable, right? Like they knew that this gay friend of theirs, you know, was, had gone through so many waves of depression and suicidality and things like that. And that this statement of pride for this gay friend was like, Hey, I want to live and I care about my life. Right. And, and, and that's what it meant to them. Right. And they showed up, you know, think about how, how many ways they're showing up could be misunderstood, you know, by every other Christian that they associate with. And so I think that Christians in general are terribly self, like self, uh, self-conscious in the sense of like many people just think, oh, you know, Black Lives Matter protests or a protest in solidarity to the black community. It means this. It means these political motives. It means this. You know what I mean? And they're just like, I would just avoid all that mis- misunderstanding and not show up. And in so doing, their silence makes a, a different statement to those yeah. people who have been hurt. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, Jesus, I can't imagine how many times he was, I mean, it's in the text, how many times he was misunderstood based on who he's, he was associating with. <laughs> and I, I think for me, I've just chosen to accept that no matter what I do, I'm going to m- be misunderstood. And so I have to just base my decisions on my own values and my own motivations. Yeah, nobody totally, else's. And, you know what you I mean? Know, it's, it's tough because, you know, Jesus tells us to, to love our neighbor as ourself. Right. And, you know, Paul says, if I have, you know, all the knowledge and understand all the mysteries and have prophetic powers, but have not love, I am nothing. And I, I mean, I think, you know, that's something yeah. that I try to try to live by. And so, you know, um, there, there, yeah. there are many opportunities to have discussions um, about these misunderstandings, but I think everything yeah. that we need to do needs to be based in love. And so, um, well, well, speaking of that, yeah. so, yeah. Um, you know, just watching the news and, and being online and stuff, um, some protests have turned violent later on. I know um, that happened to Portland a couple, like last weekend or two weekends ago, but um, how, how was the police presence there? Did you feel like unsafe at any time or was like the, the tension in the air or was it like a, a fairly peaceful vibe? Yeah, at least in the context of where I was and what I saw, um, there was not a lot of police presence, uh, um, especially at the early gathering at, at four. There was no police presence there from what I saw. Um, and, you know, I think there was there was certainly preparation being done downtown, like all of the glass windows on all of the storefronts had, were being boarded up or had been boarded up for blocks it was very strange to look at like the entire downtown area windows boarded up everywhere and i know that that's because people had done vandalism and looting Um, and so um there is that factor but the police presence was not there really at that and then you know later for the march the police presence was largely um the police presence was largely okay you know i did see at the area of, of gathering that, that I was at before the march, I did see a rubber bullet on the ground. So there was something at some point before I got there wow. um, where the police took action in some way. So, 
yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's it's been a mix, and and that's what I would have to say to anybody, you know, thinking about this topic, about you know racism and you know these protests and whatnot, is that the the movement for many means very different things. You know what I mean? Or the motivations of many in the movement are very different in the sense that some people are out for retribution. There is just that, that uh, facet. Others, others are not out for retribution. Others are out for change and they genuinely want equality and equity between the races as one humanity. Right. So, you know, obviously I, I align myself with, no, we need, we need equality and equity and we need the equal establishment of all people with rights and access to just, you know, uh, equal pay, you know, and on so many different fronts, I won't go into all of them right now, but there are people that are just angry and are exhibiting that in violence. And that's, I understand the anger. I obviously don't, um, I, I obviously understand the anger. I don't condone the violence, you know, myself. And like, I think there's better ways to express the anger than to break random businesses and you know things like that so um yeah anyway back to your original question the police at the at that time seemed yeah fine you know like they were doing well, cool, what man. they were you know I've, to do. I've talked to some other friends who've, who've been out and um you know as long as you're out there fairly early um i think it's it's pretty safe and pretty pretty good um and we're very blessed to be up in the pacific yeah. northwest because i know Portland has been doing a really good job, I think, overall, um, as far as like the the state yeah. response and 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 their um, what they're doing. I know some some areas in the country have not been very uh, kind to protesters, and that's um, a very unfortunate thing. Our heart goes out to everyone involved because it's not a good situation for anyone. Um, well, so I had another question. Yeah. So, did you see any other faith leaders out there just from any, other yeah, just denominations any, any and other, other groups, leaders, any other uh, religions or denominations? You know, I'm just curious, like what is just the general faith community doing if they're out there or not? You know, I didn't, I didn't really see other faith leaders. I'm, I'm sure that there was many, you know, in, especially in the March where there was 10,000 plus people, I didn't see any other faith leaders. So um, in a lot of ways, you know, we were leading the charge, at least on this particular day for people, um, for all people as the faith leaders in the group. And that was super cool because people would say things like, we haven't seen any church show up like this one, you know, like your group. And (laughs) usually, at least in the, the Adventist denomination that I'm a part of, um, that's not the case. Yeah. We're the last people to show up. We're always behind the curve. There's a new innovation and we don't adopt it till way later. You know what I mean? We're like we're usually at the tail, yeah. you know, not at the that's head. Awesome. Of stuff. So, so people were surprised so, to yeah. see you out there. Like, were they surprised to see you? Do you think because you're Christian or just surprised to see like, you know, what, 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 what do you think it was that was surprising about it? Just. Yeah. I think that, you know, in general, 
people okay maybe maybe this is stereotyping so if you're listening and i'm generalizing too much you know take all of this with a grain of salt but i think in general what people view as christianity at face value is terribly marred by media and politicized christianity you know what i mean so in general people just assume that christians are right-wing republican type minded people and typically those individuals will not really align themselves with movements like like a protest for black lives you know black lives matter or something like that you know what i mean and so those more often stereotyped progressive movements for justice and things like that are not what people see in their mind's eye when they think about a Christian. You know what I mean? So to see a Christian supporting the same cause or in some ways supporting the same cause for uh, the value of a human life, you know, and to see them with, you know, joining hands, you know, in a sense, and, you know, talking about Jesus as a justice leader instead of as a, you know, as a gentle healer or some, some other caricature, caricature of Jesus was just surprising for a lot of people. And so I think maybe that opened up a door for many people who are like thinking, well, I thought Jesus was not, you know, I, I, I never liked Jesus because I thought Jesus was not involved in things that I like, you know, or, you know, that Jesus is bigoted or Jesus is yeah. this, you know what I mean? Like, I think maybe this had the window to break down some stereotypes about Jesus because Christians are actually standing up for values that they also inherently care about. Because, you know, you show up and these people are surprised to see Christians talking about Jesus at a Black Lives Matter, which just you and I talking blows my mind that that would be surprising to anyone. But, um, you know, these people are surprised and then you guys like it's like an opportunity, right? Like this is probably the first time they're hearing Jesus from people who are like gifted at, at talking about him. So like, what did you say? Like you, you know, you look out in downtown Portland and you have an audience of 50 to 300 or 400 people and you have an open mic talk about Jesus. Like, what did you guys say? I'm so curious. Yeah. I mean, so some people we talked about, some people talked about, like image of God, like rooted in. So this whole movement is rooted in, we are all created in the image of God. And because we're all created in the image of God, we support humans. Right. And, you know, that was one thing that was talked about the kingdom of God. Like, honestly, we're talking about the very same thing that the gospel talks about, you know, um, that Jesus talks about in the gospels. And, you know, so so in a, in a sense, like the messages that we're sharing have not changed. The context has changed. Like, you know, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about all creation is part of God's, you know, it reflects God's character. We're talking about all this basic stuff and we're talking about justice and all these biblical things. But in the context of of a God who cares about the least of these and especially those who are marginalized and oppressed. And so we just spread, we just shared the message of the gospel in a sense within the context of where it actually matters. You know what I mean? (laughs) Where it matters everywhere. We're in the, in the sense where it matters more urgently because there's been a violation that's so extreme. Right. And yeah, it is, it is rubber meets the road theology. And that's usually when the messages come across 
the best, you know? And so, you know, oftentimes I, I looked at some research one time from Barna Pew research, you know, entity who was talking about young adults and young and young people's views of evangelism. And, <laughs> and, and I think one of the statistics or one of the, the results said that a good percentage, I don't remember the exact percentage, but a good percentage of, teens and young adults view evangelism as morally yeah. wrong right but then you go and we're talking about the kingdom of god for the cause of justice at a rally of sorts uh, to to be in support of the black community and all of a sudden our evangelism is super powerful and effective you know what i mean and so the statistic does not speak accurately to views about evangelism, I would say, you know, we did some of the most cutting edge evangelism we've ever done as a church denomination and as church group here in the Portland area. And, you know, because it was in the context of things that people really, really care about right now, it really struck a lot of chords, you know? And so, um, yeah. So I, I just think that we have to change how the church functions at a very fundamental level where the church and the gospel needs to be in the spheres and in the lives of the people that it's trying to reach, you know, because I think the, the general mentality or the general practice, I guess I should better say um, of people within the church, myself included is we're going to do ministry from here in our building. And we're just going to hope that people come to us. You know what I mean? Instead of bringing the gospel to people and places, you know, and opportunities. Well, you know, what I'm hearing so. is something that I've been reading a lot of lately is that, you know, in America, like in the worldwide church, um, America is being labeled as a mission field now. Before, America would be sending out yeah. missionaries to all around the world. Now, all the world is classifying America that they need to send missionaries to us because – because we right. have become right. a post-Christian culture. And so most people, yeah. truthfully, don't know what Christianity actually is. They don't know who Jesus really is. Like yeah. you said, everything's based on media right. and what other people tell them. And it's so interesting when, you know, like you said, rubber meets the road theology. You go out there. You're not saying you better follow Jesus, which I think all those Barna group polls say a lot of teens think that that type of evangelism is bad. But when you go out there and you say, hey, yeah, all humans are made in the image of God. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus loves black lives, too. All of a sudden, it's mega effective and people are really receptive and pay attention because they don't know because yeah. nobody told them, I guess, or they thought, you know, I guess. I guess people thought that they would just get a Christian education being born in America, and then that's not the case anymore, right? So it's good to hear, you know, that's kind yeah. of where I wanted to really kind of like land the plane with this conversation because, you know, just the idea that you guys went out there and talked to 400 people and they were kind of receptive is like fascinating to me, especially, you know, everything says Jesus has no place in the world. And, and look, all these people like, I mean, you, it makes it sound, you make it sound like that they were kind of receptive. Did, did anyone come up to you like afterwards or did yeah. anyone say anything to you guys about like, that was great. Or I've never heard of that. Or I never thought about Jesus that way before. Did you get any feedback? Not in the particular sense that you're, that you just commented. Um, people were definitely just thankful. Like 
Thank you. And, you know, people were amening and stuff like that that were not part of our group. So I'm sure there was people that were Christian associated, but not from within the group that organized, right? And, um, no, people were grateful. And like I said earlier, like people said things like, we have not seen faith leaders or people of faith come out in a support in this way. And we're just so grateful. So there was a lot of gratitude and there was a lot of like, you know, unity in the in purpose and cause um, that happened. And I think, you know, f- not from me, but like other people, there was leaders praying with them and talking. Um, and I think one of the best kind of ministry opportunities for us is like after we talked, you know, the majority of us, we listened. Right. So we didn't go out there specifically to go preach at the group, the group setting was an opportunity for a couple of people to speak with personal experience and issue and for us to listen. And so then after the meeting, you know, when people were coming up to us, they had a context of, Oh, this is what I can talk to them about. And we did a lot of listening. People would share about how they've been hurt. And that was the the main conversation I had after the gathering was like one guy just talking about, you know, his negative and harmful and painful experiences being a black person in Portland. And so we did a lot of listening and, you know, in that listening thing, you know, in my career as a pastoral type person in different settings in a hospital setting and in, you know, in a church setting, um, I think my listening matters more to people in sharing the love of Jesus than a lot of my speaking. Um, because the, the ministry of like presence that, that you as a person of faith, you, you just being present with people while representing that you believe in God says something to them about God, right? It says to them, God is available and hears me and sees me, right? That's what the power of listening is. And you don't have to preach your values. People see them in your availability yeah. to them you know, <laughs> and how you interact with them. And so um, I think for, for me, that was probably more powerful than anything that was spoken to people. You know, if, I think the fact that we showed up, announced ourselves as people of faith, and then, you know, uh, spoke out of our, our support of individuals that are hurting and then stayed available to listen to other people, I think made a lot of positive impact on, on other people and allowed for the space for healing and stuff. That's really happen, cool. So. Well, Troy, thank you for sharing your experience. That must've been really awesome. I mean, I've heard from a lot of different people that this is just like a really amazing time. And, um, you know, we're all just praying that, that things change for the better for everyone. Um, so did you have any yeah, other yeah. things that you wanted to share before we uh, end the podcast today? No, um, not specifically. I would just say like, you know, to everybody listening, you know, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, maybe you're Adventist, maybe you're not. Um, what we're called to is to bring the gospel out, you know, to bring the, the person of Christ out in our lives and in our words and in our actions. And I think, you know, this is a turning point for all of us to say like, where, where is the gospel absent and why, and then what can I do about it? And so for me on a personal level, it's like, man, I got to be putting myself back in spaces with people I don't already know and connect with. You know what I mean? I, 
I need to be putting myself in the right context so that gospel can actually be significant. You know, it, it's not just uh, reiterating to my friends, you know, everything I already believe, you know, it's, this has to change lives, you know, in a different context. So, yeah, I think we're at a turning point as a church, um, both locally and, you know, nationally and in the Northwest and globally where, um, especially in the Western world where we have to change the way we share the gospel, you know, and we have to take a hard look at the values that we have and why we practice those values in the ways that we do. And so this is a challenge, I think, for every person um, that the things that we care about most, they need to be visible to others in a tangible way. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a gut check for the church. Um, God's spirit's going to move and do things, whether we're along for the ride or not. And so, you know, I think we should just be humble and pray and, um, you know, just be amazed at God's work in the world. Um, So everyone, please uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on on whatever you're listening to, uh, you know, Apple uh, iTunes or um, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Um, Share it with all your friends, share it on social media. Um, you know, we love to see this podcast grow. Um, if you have any feedback, you know, please leave us a review. Um, the reviews actually help us show up higher on like search bars. Um, so leave reviews, write reviews if you have the time. Um, and if you have any ideas for episodes or just want to ask a question or, um, you know, just in, in general, just want to like reach out to us, uh, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's it for me, Troy. Would you mind uh, praying us out of here? Absolutely. God, we just want to come before you and we remember what you're like, who you are, because we've seen Jesus. We know that you, that you, Jesus, are for us. You care about all people. You created us. We pray, God, that we would Um, See you clearly um, in the world, the world that's broken and in pain right now, and that you would come and bring deliverance for the oppressed, deliverance for the hurting, um, and deliver the church from its own um, foibles and stagnation. Um, Activate us, God, by the the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus came into the world announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. Culture wants to have the kingdom without the king, but Jesus is as relevant today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Thank you for listening as we wrestle with how to live as disciples of Jesus in our modern culture and to share our relevant faith. God bless.